chapter 43, Isaiah chapter number 43, and then also Isaiah chapter 44 as well. We'll be reading from both of those passages. While you're doing that, we have updated prayer cards for the Brian Johnston family. And uh, of course, Brother Brian and his family are missionaries to the uh, north side of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And uh, it's I, I'm always interested when we get these updated prayer cards because uh, you know families grow and people change, and we don't always look to the way we did 10, 15 years ago. <laughs> and uh, Brother Brian and his wife and their family have been serving since 2003 and doing a great job over in Toronto. And so uh, we have updated prayer cards, and they'll be available in the lobby after the service. And I encourage you, take those prayer cards. Just uh, please don't waste them, maybe uh, one per family. But uh, they do have his email address uh, on there. And uh, someone recently, I believe it was part of our missions conference uh, several weeks ago, uh, reminded me uh, and challenged me about the importance of being encouragement. And now in the days of email, you can do that instantly. Uh, used to, you would write a letter, and it would take uh, days or weeks to get there. But now you can do that really at the, uh, at the stroke of a keyboard. And so uh, please take advantage of that. Stand with me, please. Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse number 11. We'll read this verse and then another passage from the following chapter. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse number 11. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Now turn over to Isaiah chapter 44, and uh, we'll begin reading in verse number 6, Isaiah chapter 44, verse number 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. And who, as I, shall call and shall declare it, and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people, and the things that are coming, and shall come, let them show unto them. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time, and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. They that make, an, uh, they that make a graven image are all of them vanity, and their delectable things shall not profit. And they are their own witnesses. They see not nor know that they may be ashamed. I want to direct your attention back to verse number 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. I want to talk to you on that, on that theme, beside me there is no God. And let's pray together. Our Father, <clears throat> I pray that you'd help us this morning. I pray that we would set aside everything from our hearts and everything from our hands that would be a distraction to us. Uh, the world is full of uh, gadgets and gizmos and all kinds of uh, things that, if we're not careful, uh, would distract us from the most important thing this morning, and that is hearing from heaven, uh, hearing from your Spirit, from your Word. I pray that you'd help us in these next few moments to sanctify this time. And then, Father, I pray most of all that Jesus Christ will be glorified in this hour. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. <clears throat> Our human nature is so intent on trying to detach itself from any kind of dependency or association with God. Our, your life and my life, your nature and my nature is against God. 
Uh, you say, well, preacher, I love God. I don't doubt that you do. But I'm saying there's an old nature in all of us that doesn't want anything to do with God. Sometimes it's called the old man in the Scriptures. Sometimes it's called the flesh. Sometimes it's called the carnal nature. Whatever you call it, whatever, however you describe it, there's a nature in all of us, our sinful nature that we were born with, that wants absolutely nothing to do with God. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12, it says, As by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You see, you got your sinful nature from your parents, and they from their parents, and they from their parents, and they from their parents. All of us, we got it from Adam. <laughs> the Bible says, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, we inherited, or the human, the, the whole human race rather, inherited a sinful, uh, depraved nature that wants nothing to do with God. Since man fell in the Garden of Eden and the sin nature was passed on to every generation, it's been that way. Your flesh, my flesh, wants nothing to do with submitting to the authority and the commandments of a holy, sovereign God. Throughout the Scriptures are proofs of this very thing. And here in Isaiah chapter 44, God is dealing with His own people and they're leaning toward idolatry. Now think about that for just a second. This was written to God's chosen people. And down in verse, uh, I believe it's verse 8 or verse 9, what we read a while ago, he starts to talk about them and chide them about their, their uh, getting off of the path of worshiping Jehovah God and into idol worship. They had, uh, they had carved images or they had made out stone images or they had uh, uh, set up uh, these uh, uh, false gods, false idols that they'd gotten from other countries and other cultures, and they had begun to uh, to go in the direction of idol worship and and uh, having other gods instead of the one true God. In verse number 9, it says, They that make a graven image are all of them vanity, and their delectable things shall not profit, and they are and, and they are their own witnesses. They see not nor know that they may, may be ashamed. God said, you, you, you don't even realize how wicked you've become. And by the way, all of us have the capacity uh, in us to do the worst of the worst. I don't care who you are. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how, hey, I don't care how long you've been saved. All of us, given the opportunity, our flesh is able to do the most despicable of acts because that's what we are in our sinful nature. Now, thanks be to God. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The day you got saved, God gave you another nature uh, inside of you to go along with that sinful nature, and those two natures are at war with each other all the time. Your old nature, your flesh, your whatever you want to call it, is constantly at odds with the new man, <coughs> the divine nature of God, <coughs> the new creature that lives inside of you, and we've got to be sure that we feed the right nature. We've got to make sure that we, that we feast on the Word of God, that we, uh, that we yield ourselves constantly to the leadings of God's Holy Spirit that lives within us. Why? Because if we don't, then the old man is going to have his way in our lives. Now, I'm going somewhere. I want you to stay with me. He goes on to say that these handcrafted idols made of wood are going to burn up. But whether it be an idol of wood or stone or man setting himself up as his own God, man has always had a problem with the authority of God. 
all, since the beginning of time. Man has had a problem with God's authority. By the way, we see it today in the spirit of anarchy that's in our society. Uh, you, uh, you see all these protests and all these, uh, these, uh, anti-government, uh, anti-democracy, anti-America uh, protests that go around in our country. And, uh, and those people have no idea that the, that the, the only reason why they have a right to do what they do is because somebody has a, has a respect for law and order. We see the disrespect in our society for the police and for law enforcement. By the way, let me say this. Teach your young people to respect authority. Teach your children to respect police officers. Uh, teach them to have high regard for those in positions of authority. By the way, uh, if you do that, you're helping your own authority, mom and dad. When you don't uh, instruct your teenagers or your kids uh, to have a respect for all authority, what you don't understand is you're, you're undermining your own authority in their lives. Because the Bible tells us that there is only one authority ultimately, and that's God Almighty. In Romans chapter 13, it says the powers that be are ordained of God. God has set out the authority. God's the one who ordained human government. God's the one who uh, who, who said there ought to be uh, 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 men and, and who are, are deputized, people who are uh, deputized, in essence, to carry out God's authority in the world. That's That's of the Lord. We need to respect that. But in our society, we see the disrespect for the police and for law enforcement. We see disrespect from the news media toward elected officials who disagree with them. We see defiance of kids and teens toward adults. Generally speaking, we don't want anybody telling us what to do. That's who we are. There's something inside of all of us that bristles when somebody tells us what, that, that we're not doing what we ought to do. Or to stop doing something that we shouldn't be doing. One of the great central themes of the Word of God is the authority of God and how you and I submit to Him makes the difference. Don't miss this. How you and I submit to God's authority in our lives makes all the difference between joy and misery in this life and in the life to come. Don't miss it. One of the central themes of this book right here is God's authority. We call the Word of God the, our final authority of faith and practice, and it ought to be. It ought to be. Uh, in setting the record straight with his people, God makes a very bold statement. I want you to see it here as we introduce the sermon. First of all, I want you to notice it was a statement of authority. A statement of authority. Look back at your Bible, if you will, Isaiah chapter 44 and verse number 6. Isaiah 44, verse number 6, he said this, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel. It was a statement of authority. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel. He refers to himself, God does, as the authority, the king, if you will. The one in charge, the one who calls the shots, the one who has everything under control. You see, if you think about this story and the setting of this story, Isaiah prophesied during a divided kingdom. There was a king in the north. Of Israel, there was a king in the southern part of Israel, and uh, and Isaiah was uh, was prophesying during this time. There was a monarch who sat on the throne, but notice the word came from God to Isaiah, and that word was simply this: "I am the king of Israel." He wasn't talking about a man there; he was talking about himself. God said, "I am the king of Israel." By the way, let me say this: God needs to be the king of our life. God needs to be the authority in your life. Let me ask you a question this morning. 
Who is it that calls the shots in your life? Who is the final authority in your life? Who's the one who determines what you do and what you do not do? Who is it that occupies the throne in your heart today? You see, God will not share that position with anybody or anything else. Are you with me this morning? I know you're tired, but Brother Hall, man, he's beyond tired. He's exhausted. But, uh, but, uh, but, but hang with me here. Only one person can occupy the throne of your life. It, it, it can be God or it can be someone else, but it cannot be God and someone else. He said, I am the king of Israel. Who occupies the throne in your heart? Who is it that calls the shots? Who is it that is the determining uh, 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 factor or the judge, if you will, in what you do and what you do not do? You say, well, <clears throat> I'm my own boss, preacher. I call the shots in my life. It, that, that may be true in your life. But I found out a long time ago, uh, when God calls the shots in my life, he doesn't make a mistake. When I call the shots in my life, whenever I, and by the way, all of us do this from time to time, whenever we presume upon God's authority and remove Him from the place of, of the throne in our lives, and we become the arbiter of right and wrong, we become the judge, we become the one who calls the shots, I found this to be true, I mess up. I mess up. And so there's been many times where I've had to get on my knees before a holy God and say, God, I'm so sorry I did my own thing in that particular instance. And I, I called the shot instead of giving you the authority to do so. God, I submit myself to your authority in my life. That's the way it ought to be with all of us all the time. I, I see it was a statement of authority. Number two, I want you to see this. It was a statement of ownership. It was a statement of ownership. Notice, look back at our text, if you will, Isaiah chapter 44 and verse number 6. The Bible says this, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. Not only was it a statement of authority, it was a statement of ownership because He said, His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. God has a right to be the authority in my life because of who He is. But wait a minute, if you're saved, not only has God created you, and not only should you submit to his authority because of who he is and, and the fact that he created you, but you ought to submit to God's authority if you're saved because he redeemed you. It was a statement of ownership. God said, hey, I have a right. I have a right to tell you what to do. I have a right to be the authority in your life, not only because I made you, but because I redeemed you if you're saved. The word redeemer means purchaser. He purchased me. He purchased my salvation through the blood of His own Son on Calvary 2,000 years ago. God has a practical right to receive submission from Kevin Dale and obedience from Kevin Dale. You know why? Because He purchased me. He owns me. Ah, nobody owns me. Boy, you're in a bad way. <laughs> you're in a bad way. Oh, by the way, uh, either God is your Father, by way of salvation you receive in Christ, and the only, by process of elimination, the only other possibility there would be Satan is your father. Jesus said to the Pharisees in John 8, 44, you are your father the devil. <laughs> Boy, that's strong language there. You see this notion that, oh, everybody's going to get along, everybody's going to end up in heaven one day, preacher, because after all, we're all God's children. No, that's not true. That's not true. We're, not all of us are God's children. We're all God's creation, and that's a little different. But we're not all God's children because that relationship of father and son only comes to those who receive Christ as salvation or for salvation. 
It was a statement of ownership. It was a statement of authority. And then I want you to notice also, it was a statement of his eternity. It was a statement of God's eternal nature. Look at verse 40, uh, chapter 44, verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. Don't miss it. I am the first, and I am the last. Oh, I love this. I am the first, God said, and I'm the last, God said. What was he saying? Hey, I was here when all of this started. Understand, it was God who stepped out on nothing and created everything that we see. The Bible says, without him was not anything made that was made. <clears throat> Understand, God started all of this. Hey, you want to talk about a Big Bang Theory? Let me give you the Big Bang Theory. God said it, and bang, there it was. Hey, it wasn't some primordial soup. It wasn't some grand explosion, some process of elimination, uh, some uh, some uh, uh, cosmic dust that that uh, uh, was ignited somehow. Nobody knows who struck the match, but uh, uh, that's all. That's all gobbledygook and poppycock and, and fantasy land, and, and dreamed up by people who'll do anything they can to get rid of God out of our society. You see. God said, I was here when it started. I was here when it started. And he goes on to say, I'll be here when everything is said and done. I am the first and I am the last. It is a statement of his eternity. God <coughs> never had a beginning. God will never have an end. You say, preacher, I don't believe that because it doesn't make sense to me. There's a lot of things that you take for granted that, you, that don't make sense to you, by the way. You enjoy electricity and don't understand how it all works. I dare say most people in this room don't know all of the uh, nuances of the combustion, the combustion engine, but that won't keep you from getting your car and driving home after church this morning. You do it. You participate in a lot of things you don't understand. Hey, there's a God in heaven who never had a beginning. He's pre-eternal. He's eternal uh, in eternity past, and he'll never have an end. And hey, he said, I was the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. It was a statement of his eternity. Now... <clears throat> All of those statements lead us to the message this morning. Look back at verse number 6 one more time. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, and I am the first, and I am the last, and here's the message, and beside me there is no God. Beside me there is no God. Now keep in mind, he's talking to a group of people who have turned to idolatry. He's talking to a group of people who are looking somewhere besides God for all of their needs to be met. He was looking to somewhere, he was talking to people who were looking for another God, another image, another idol, another uh, being to worship, if you will. And God said, let me make a statement. It's a statement about my eternity. eternity. It's a statement about my authority. It's a statement about uh, me being the owner of those of you who know me as your Savior and my chosen people, Israel. And he said, beside me, there is no God. Let me ask you a question. Really, it's a simple message. Why? Do we look elsewhere besides God? Why do we look somewhere else for our needs to be met besides God? Why do we look in a different direction, Brother Dave, for salvation besides God? Why do we look for comfort in another, another source besides God? You see, he said, there is no alternative beside me. There is no rival to God. There is no competitor to God. There is no fitting substitute for God. Our human nature is such that we tend to look at everyone and everything else before looking to the Lord. 
Let me give you a verse. Psalm chapter 10 and verse number 4. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. Don't miss this. God is not in all his thoughts. That's the definition of a wicked man, according to Psalm 10, verse 4. Don't miss it. Let me read again. Let it sink in. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Are you a wicked person? Because God says, let me describe who the wicked man is. The wicked man is the man who, who, who thinks nothing about God. It didn't say the wicked guy is an axe murderer. <laughs> he didn't say the wicked guy <clears throat> is, the, is, the, uh, uh, is the immoral pervert. He didn't say the wicked man is, uh, is, is, is the person who does all of the heinous, most despicable things <coughs> known to mankind. No, he said the wicked man is the one who refuses to think about God. God does not occupy any of his thoughts. Well, that's a convicting statement. That's a convicting statement. You see, the truth this morning is simple. Instead of looking beside God for our needs to be met, let's look to God. Let's look to God. Because God said, beside me, there is no other. There's a God in heaven who is, who is uh, saying, hey, hey, I can help you down there. I can, I, I can aid you down there. I can, I can save you down there. I can, I can supply your needs down there. Why don't you look to me? Don't look to some stinking piece of stone or some piece of iron. Don't look to some image somewhere. Don't look to yourself in that humanistic philosophy. He said, beside me, I'm God. There is no other. There is no rival. There is no competitor. There is no alternative. There is no fitting substitute, God said. Really simple message this morning. I come to you on behalf of the God of heaven who is deserving of our attention, our submission, a submission and our worship. Why would we look anywhere else? Why would we look anywhere else? Several thoughts and we'll be done. Why would we look anywhere else for comfort and sorrow? Why would we look anywhere else for comfort in times of sorrow when beside God there is no other? There is no other. Who else but the Holy Spirit of God would we go to in times of sorrow? I, I look around the room as I do every Sunday morning and I see people who have buried loved ones in recent months. I see folks who are looking at a Christmas time for the first time without someone that they care about and love very deeply. Uh, may I remind you this morning, why would we look anywhere else for comfort besides God? Why would we rely upon anyone else to help us in a time of need than His blessed Holy Spirit? Some are facing difficult challenges to your health this morning. We read off a, a, a lengthy list a few moments ago of, uh, of people who are facing uh, health challenges and we ought to be faithful to pray for them. And, uh, and it seems like the list of, uh, of those folks uh, grows longer and longer every week. And by the way, thank God for modern medicine. I don't know about you, but if I find out I'm sick, I'm going to the doctor. <laughs> I'm making a beeline for the doctor, okay? Thank God for them. Thank God for hospitals. Thank God for modern medicine. Thank God for the uh, the uh, the advances that God has allowed man to make in, in medical technology and so forth. And by the way, all of that has to be blessed of God. Colossians tells us that by Him all things consist. The molecular structure of all these medicines that go into your system that uh, doctors have found help people, by and large, you know where they came from? God. They came from God. So 
I'm simply saying, <coughs> thank Him for the modern medicine and thank Him for the doctors and the hospitals and so forth, but let's be sure that our faith and our hope and our confidence is first and foremost in the good God of heaven. You know why? Because beside Him there is no other. Beside Him there is no comfort in sorrow. Jesus said to His disciples uh, just a few days before He was to be crucified, He said, look, I'm going to leave you. Now, fellas, don't get rattled by that. I'm going to leave you, he said, and it's necessary that I leave you, he said, because if I don't leave you, the comforter's not going to come. He said, but if I go away, he said, I'm going to send another capital letter C comforter to come, and he's going to be with you forever. He's going to be with you on this journey called life, and he'll never leave you, and he's always going to be, in fact, he's going to live inside of you. He's called the Holy Spirit. The blessed Holy Spirit of God. Jesus called Him the Comforter. The Comforter. Why would we look anywhere else besides God for comfort? That's foolish. That's foolish. Like, I give you another thought this morning. Why would we look anywhere else for joy in serving besides God? I, uh, I don't mention this a lot on Sunday morning, but let me just say this. You know, <clears throat> serving the Lord's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. I love serving the Lord. You know, what a thrill it is to be involved, no matter what it is we do for Him. And by the way, I challenge you in the days to come, for those of you that uh, uh, perhaps uh, uh, you come only on Sunday morning, hey, look for ways to get involved in the work of the church. Look for ways to make a difference in the lives of people. Look for ways to, uh, to, uh, to, to get involved in reaching people with the gospel or, or being a blessing to people through different avenues of the local church. That's a wonderful thing. But let me say this. I know people who used to serve and were actively involved in service, but they grew weary of it. They grew weary of it. They got tired of it. Hey, I know people who used to be very active in churches just like this one, and now you can't even find them sitting in a church service on Sunday morning. That's a, you say, pastor, that's an awful thing. That's, a, that's horrible. Why would that ever happen? Well, in some cases, in the process of daily acts of serving the Lord, we can lose the joy of serving the Lord. I don't want to lose the joy of it. You see, you say, preacher, why would anybody lose the joy in serving? I'll tell you why. Because we look beside God instead of to God. You see, but he said, beside me, there is no God. Why would we look anywhere else for joy in serving? Hey, look at Jesus while you serve Jesus. Worship Jesus while you serve Jesus. Praise Jesus while you serve Jesus. Hey, sometimes if we're not careful, we can get so busy in the acts of serving, uh, uh, serving uh, Christ by serving others. And by the way, that's how you serve Jesus is by serving other people. But if we're not careful in serving other people, my eyes will become fixed on other people and not on the, the, real, the real person I'm serving. I'm serving Christ. I'm serving Him. And when my focus gets away from serving Him, I look beside God instead of to God, the one I'm serving. Guess what? I'll get burned out if I'm not careful. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll get my eyes off the Lord and my eyes on others. In Psalm chapter 100, we read these words, Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. You know what gladness there means? It means exactly what you think it means. Happiness. It means, whoopee, I get to serve God. I just woke some of you up. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to disturb your Sunday morning nap. But, <laughs> but uh, uh, hey, <laughs> it means, it means, 
Yippity-doo-dah, yippity-day. We get to serve Jesus today. Hey, that's what it means. It mean, I don't know where that came from. It, it means serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. With a smile on your face and with a, a song in your heart and a spring in your step. Good night. I refuse to, to become an ogre one day. I refuse to, to, to be one of these persons who uh, is serving the Lord and is miserable every minute of it. That's crazy. How you doing? Well, I'm just getting through. Just <laughs> I'm just under the circumstances. I'm okay. And I understand we all have bad days, okay? I'm not saying that you gotta, <laughs> I'm not saying you're always gonna be on, on top side. There's gonna be, there's gonna be tough days. I understand that. But look, why don't we decide that we're gonna keep our focus on Jesus? And let me tell you, even in the bad days, if our focus is on Jesus, He'll put that song in our heart. He'll put that joy there. Hey, joy is, is a little different from happiness. Happiness comes from happenings. Happiness comes from good things that happen to you. Joy goes beyond the surface of circumstances. Joy is a deep abiding contentment that only comes from God, only comes from His Son, only comes from His Word, and you can have joy in serving Jesus if you'll keep your focus on Him. Keep your focus on Him. The joy of serving comes from Jesus. Without considering Him, serving can become burdensome. I, I've got to hasten because the uh, the restaurants are, are getting ready for you and you don't want to disappoint them. Here we go. Number three, I said, why would we look anywhere else for joy in serving Jesus? God said, beside me there is no God. Why would we look uh, anywhere else when it comes to comfort and sorrow? God said, beside me there is no God. I share with you this and I hasten. Why would we look anywhere else for contentment at Christmas? Let me just share with you something. It's December the 2nd. We're still somewhat early into the Christmas season, but let me warn you or caution you about something, if I may, as, as your pastor. You know, beside Jesus, there is no Christmas. Beside Jesus, there is no Christmas. If we're not careful, we'll get all caught up in the in the schedule. We'll get caught up in the trappings of Christmas. We'll get caught up in all of the hustle and bustle. And and uh, I'm, I'm not saying that stuff is sinful. I'm not saying it's wrong. Uh, uh, you know, th you know uh, it, it, hey, ladies, if, if you like shopping till you drop on a... Con hey, have at it. Knock yourself out. Amen. Thank God for Cyber Monday is all I got to say. But, <laughs> but, uh, but hey, I'm not saying that's wrong in and of itself, but I am saying this. If we're not careful... Jesus will be removed from His rightful place as the centerpiece of Christmas. You see, we understand intellectually that beside Jesus there is no Christmas, but I see it every year when good people get messed up during the holidays. I see it every single year. I see uh, people who, who uh, church is neglected. Church is neglected. Oh, preacher, you know, <clears throat> I'd be there Wednesday night, but you know i got to get my shopping done. Now let me think about this for just a second. Hmm. Preacher, I'd be there on Sunday, but you know what? I, I don't have so much time to get my Christmas list taken care of. Look, you're missing the boat, if I may say so politely. You're missing the boat. Hey, it's all about Jesus. Why would I take a vacation from His house in order to do something that's not related to what should be the central focus of Him throughout this year? Church is neglected. Giving is curtailed. We get disgruntled and out of sorts with people that we love the most. Isn't that the way it works? 
Boy, our, our, our nerves get on edge and, and the, the schedule gets tight and, uh, and we're rushing here and rushing there. And if we're not careful, we'll lash out at people that we love the most. You know why? Because we've been distracted away from the real purpose of the season. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Our schedules get so busy that we get frustrated. May I give us one piece of advice to all of us this month? Let's keep our eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Hey, during this time of year, which should be about Him, why would we focus on somebody beside God? God said, beside me there is no God. Beside me there's no, there's no comfort. Beside me there's no joy in serving. Beside me there's no contentment at Christmas. And then finally this morning I give you this. Why would we look anywhere else for eternal life? Why would we look anywhere else for eternal life? I take you back to the first verse that we read a few a while ago. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 11. God said, I, even I, am the Lord, don't miss it, and beside me there is no Savior. Beside me, God said, there is no Savior. There is no deliverer. There is no, uh, n- no one to, to, to redeem us. Hey, I say, why would we look anywhere else? for eternal life. May I say this morning, if you're, in, if you're looking anywhere else for salvation besides Jesus, you'll regret it in the fires of hell for eternity. Oh, preacher, <clears throat> I'm a good person. Good people spend eternity in hell. Say, preacher, that doesn't make sense. It may not make sense to you and your rationale of thinking, but it's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. There'll be people... <clears throat> who'll go and, and spend eternity in a lake of fire, separated from a loving, holy God, who go to church every Sunday. You see, it's not besides church there is no God. It's God said, beside me there is no God. Beside me there is no way of salvation. Beside me there is no deliverance from eternal uh, eternal damnation. Beside me, God said, there is no there, there is no deliverance from the penalty of your sins. Look, don't look at your heritage and expect your heritage to get you to heaven. May I say, I grew up in a preacher's home. I remember I see uh, the Hortons here, and they got the little bundle of joy back there, and. And uh, I said in Sunday school, the, the glow in this section was not, it's not that the lights are any brighter, it's because there's a grandmother back there who's very proud. But anyway, and rightfully so. But I think about, I think about my family. I was in church the first Sunday after I was born. And I've been in church, unless I've been sick or providentially hindered, been in church ever since. But you know what? That's not going to take me to heaven. That won't get me one inch closer to heaven. Brother Dave has a wonderful heritage. His heritage won't take him to heaven. Many in here, uh, your your upbringing is such that uh, your your daddy was saved and your grandpa was saved and you can go back generations. But hey, if that's what you're looking at as your way to heaven, you're going to be sorely disappointed, my friend. Because God said, beside me there is no salvation. Beside me there is no salvation. By the way, hey, that's a blessing because when I think about it, we talked about Josiah this morning who at a very early age turned to, turned to God. His daddy was a, was a wicked man. His grandpa was a wicked man. But God looked down and in His grace and by His mercy, He said, hey, Josiah, it doesn't have to be that way with you. And Josiah, as a young boy, turned to God and, uh, and there was a revival in his own heart. Hey, whether your heritage is that of, 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 uh, of, of many uh, generations of Christians 
Christians, or this is the first time you've heard the gospel. Oh, God says to you, why would you look anywhere else? Why would you look anywhere else? Because beside me, there is no salvation, God said. There is no salvation. You can look at your church, whether it's this church or any other church, <clears throat> but if you're looking at church for salvation, God says, hey, you're looking in the wrong place. Hey, you're looking in the wrong place. Oh, I love our church. I love the Lake Crest Baptist Church and, and those who are members of it. But hey, membership of the Lake Crest Baptist Church will not get your name on in the book of life in heaven. No, sir. Hey, it's, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Him alone. Good works won't take you to heaven. You say, preacher, I, every time I check out in the store this time of year, somebody will say, hey, would you like to donate a dollar to such and such organization? Would you like to donate a toy for for children of veterans on the other side of the world? And all those things are worthy causes, and, and I applaud you for doing this, and that's a wonderful thing. Not against that at all. I'm all for it. But hey, if you look at those good works and say, this is my ticket to heaven, you're sorely mistaken, my friend. Hey, look to Jesus. God said, beside me, there is no salvation. You look at your baptism and say, hey, I was baptized as a baby. I was confirmed. I was this. I was that. I, I went through some some uh, ritualistic religious rites and, or ceremony. Oh, I'm simply saying, that's not it. That's not it. Jesus said, I am the way. God said, beside me, there is no salvation. Hey, I'm simply saying, <clears throat> forget about your religion this morning. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Hey, forget about your sorrow this morning and give it to God, my friend. I, I don't, I don't minimize your burden or your heartache or your sorrow. It's very real. But let me say, why don't we, whether we're saved or lost, hey, if you're lost, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, look to God for salvation. Look to Jesus and Him alone for salvation. If you're here this morning and you are saved, may I ask you a question? Have you gotten your eyes off of the Lord? Oh, you're still serving Him, but it's drudgery. You're still going through the motions of coming to church. You're still showing up for choir. You're still showing up for that class or showing up for whatever it is that you do to serve the Lord, but it's become monotonous. It's become ritualistic. It's become kind of tough. Could it be that we've gotten our eyes away from the one for whom we're doing it? I am God, and beside me there is no other. Why don't we get our eyes fixed where they ought to be? This morning, I challenge you, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Our Father, I pray that you...